Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be uh, regarding Chapter 9 of Mosiah. So now we're getting into the record of Zenith. This is taken from the plates of Zenith, and so we're going to read about their experience, um, and this will go on for several chapters. This is from chapters 9 through 22 will be the story of Zenith and their people. Verse 1, I, Zenith, having been taught in all the language of the Nephites, and having had a knowledge of the land of Nephi, or, on the land, or of the land of our father's first inheritance, and having been sent out as a spy among the Lamanites, that I might spy out their forces, that our army might come upon them and destroy them. But when I saw that which was good among them, I was desirous that they should not be destroyed. Too bad. They would have gotten, uh, had a lot more peace probably, huh? I shouldn't say too bad probably. That's probably not a right way to say that. Therefore I contended with my brethren in the wilderness, for I would that our rulers should make a treaty with them. But he, being an austere and a bloodthirsty man, commanded that I should be slain. But I was rescued by the shedding of much blood, for father fought against father and brother against brother, until the greater number of our army was destroyed in the wilderness. And we returned, those of us that were spared, to the land of Zarahemla, to relate that tale to their wives and their children. And yet I, being overzealous, there's a problem, isn't there, to inherit the land of our fathers, collected as many as were desirous to go up to possess the land, and started again on our journey into the wilderness to go up to the land, but we were smitten with famine and sore afflictions, for we were slow to remember the Lord our God. Seems like the Lord's trying to tell them not to do this. First they're destroyed, they destroy themselves, and then now the there's a famine to them, or at least they're they're being afflicted so that they don't do this, but they're but like he said, he's overzealous. Verse 4, Nevertheless, after many days, wandering in the wilderness, we pitched our tents in the place where our brethren were slain, which was near to the land of our fathers. And it came to pass that I went again with four of my men into the city, in unto the king, that I might know of the disposition of the king, and that I might know if I might go in with my people and possess the land in peace. And I went in unto the king, and he covenanted with me. Now remember, this is a Lamanite king. Um, and so this is going to be similar to Satan here, that he, he's covenant. Don't trust Satan. Don't covenant with him because he's not going to keep his promise. That I might possess the land of Lehi-Nephi and the land of Shalom. And he also commanded that his people should depart out of the land. That's kind of suspicious right there, isn't it? And I and my people went into the land that we might possess it. And we began to build buildings and to repair the walls of the city, yea, even the walls of the city of Lehi-Nephi and the city of Shalom. And we began to till the ground, yea, even with all manner of seeds, with seeds of corn and of wheat and of barley and with knees and with sheem. Okay, what are those? Don't you think that Joseph Smith, if he was writing this on his own, would not make up words like this? I mean, what, what are these? These obviously are translated words that Joseph didn't know. Now, when he came to a word that he didn't know, like a proper name, uh, he did not say the word to the to the scribe, he would just spell it out. So when he got to this, he would have said, and with N-E-A-S, and with S-H-E-U-M. He would have spelled it like that so that the scribe would know how to spell it in writing it. Um, and so that's how Joseph did the translation when he came to a new word like that. 
Nobody knows exactly what crop or grain is represented in, by these words that Joseph Smith would not be able to describe in 1829 English. Every word or term used by the Nephites is evidence for the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. Together with Nees and Shem of Mosiah 9 and 9 are Kurloms and Kumoms of Ether. Uh, we have some very convincing examples of what are technically known as Hapax Legomena. Linguistically, such terms are a part of almost all ancient records. Indeed, they become a check on their age. Uh, Hapax Legomena are terms which cannot be translated, only transliterated, that is, put into the sounds of a language. And that was by Richard Craycroft. Craycroft and Neil Lambert. Uh, continuing verse 9, and with seeds of all manner of fruits, and we did begin to multiply and prosper in the land. Now it was the cunning and craftiness of King Laman. Notice that I said that this is like Satan. Satan's very subtle and crafty too. This is probably a throne name. Now Laman may not be his actual name, but he may be the throne name that the Lamanite kings may have all been named Laman, uh, not his real name. And he was the son of uh, and he also has a son named Laman who succeeds him. The Nephites also called their kings Nephi. Uh, continuing verse 10, to bring my people into bondage that he yielded up the land that he might possess it. Therefore it came to pass that after we had dwelt in the land for the space of 12 years, the King Laman, the King Laman began to grow uneasy lest by any means my people should wax strong in the land and that they could not overpower them and bring them into bondage. Now there's a there's something going on here that doesn't meet the eye here as we talk about this that they're concerned about how how fast they're growing. Let me read you something here. It is not reasonable to assume that the people became stronger with the increase in the children of the people. Twelve years would not have been enough time for their children to have grown up to be much of a threat. They probably grew strong because other people moved in with them, including many able-bodied men, which were which then became a threat to layman's people. It's also possible that layman's people were preparing to war with other people and attack them as well. So it's, it's, it's easy to see how the Nephites are probably growing, but not by just having children, but other people are moving in with them. Verse 12, now they were a lazy and an idolatrous people. Therefore, they were desirous to bring us into bondage that they might glut themselves with the labors of our hands. Yea, that they might feast themselves upon the flocks of our fields. Therefore, it came to pass that King Laman began to stir up his people. This is probably not accurate, that they should contend with my people. Therefore, there began to be wars and contentions in the land. For in the 13th year of my reign in the land of Nephi, away on the south of the land of Shilom, when my people were watering and feeding their flocks and tilling their lands, a numerous host of Lamanites came upon them and began to slay them and to take off their flocks and the corn of their fields. This seems to be a band of thieves instead of an attack done by Laman and his people. Zenith's people are, are, are already in subjection, and the people of Laman could have taken the flocks and corn at any time anyway. So this doesn't seem to be a, an attack by the Lamanites that, are, uh, that already have them in bondage. This sounds like another group. Joseph Smith said, I explained concerning the coming of the Son of Man also that it is a false idea that the saints will escape all the judgments whilst the wicked suffer. For all flesh is subject to suffer, and the righteous shall, shall hardly escape. Still many of the saints will escape, for the just shall live by faith. Yet many of the righteous shall fall a prey to disease, to pestilence, etc., by means of the weakness of the flesh, and yet be saved in the kingdom of God. Verse 15. Yea, and it came to pass that they fled all that were not overtaken, even into the city of Nephi, and did call upon me for protection. And it came to pass that I did arm them with bows, and with arrows, and with swords, and with scimitars, and with clubs, and with slings, and with all manner of weapons which we could invent. And I and my people did go forth against the Lamanites to battle. 
Yea, in the strength of the Lord did we go forth to battle against the Lamanites, for I and my people did cry mightily to the Lord that he would deliver us out of the hands of our enemies, for we were awakened to a remembrance of the deliverance of our fathers. And God did hear our cries and did answer our prayers, and we did go forth in his might. Yea, we did go forth against the Lamanites, and in one day and a night we did slay 3,043. We did slay them even until we had driven them out of our land. And I myself with mine own hands did help to bury their dead. And behold, to our great sorrow and lamentation, 279 of our brethren were slain. The Lamanite attack killed Xenophites and therefore justified and required the killing of Lamanites. Remember that Lamanite is a, germ, a generic term. The Lamanites would have retreated from out of the area with their spoils if they were after spoils. There was no reason to stay when they achieved their goal. Nevertheless, the Xenophites were able to kill 3,000 Lamanites in a very short period of time. This means they had to find them, and finding them in their homes would be the easiest. This was not an extended hunt, but an attack on apparently known positions. The ratio of losses indicates that the Xenophytes had the element of surprise. In hand-to-hand -hand combat, one would not expect such a large difference to occur that fast, unless the Xenophytes were superior in personal strength or weaponry. Either of those two are possible, but not likely. It is also quite likely that the Xenophytes were smaller in number, not just casualties. This further suggests a surprise attack. A band of Lamanites who had attacked Nephites would certainly be prepared for retaliation, or at least wary of it. Finally, the result is that the Lamanites are driven from the Xenophyte lands. This could apply to causing a standing army to leave, but makes more sense as the removal of hamlets occupied by Lamanites. So that's the end of chapter 9. So this shows here how the Lamanites or the, the Nephites are being protected uh, as they keep the commandments and do the things they're supposed to. I pray that we might do the same. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.